This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back uh, preaching uh, with uh, you this morning. Uh, if, again, if we haven't met, my name's Adam. I get to do uh, a bulk lion's share of the preaching here at our church and uh, had the last two Sundays off. Thank you. Uh, we had one of our own members, Matt Kelly, who so, uh, so well handled um, a section of the book of Exodus for us. And then we had our friend John Pickett come up from Las Cruces to preach. And if you missed that sermon and if you miss, miss Matt's sermon, I would, I would commend those to your listening through our podcast. Those were, uh, those were well-preached sermons. So thank you for giving me a couple Sundays off. We were able to get our kids oriented and sent off to school. And we got my brother married and all kinds of exciting things happened over the last couple of weeks. So thank you uh, for giving me some space uh, to do that. But I'm thrilled to be back with you uh, preaching this morning. Uh, if, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to open that or slide that on if you're using a device. We are going to pick up where we left off in the book of Exodus. Uh, if you're new to our church, it's primarily our practice to just preach through books of the Bible, either section by section, verse by verse uh, type of preaching. And we are finishing up uh, this book in the Old Testament called Exodus uh, we've got, uh, I think, less than a handful or so sermons left. I've kind of kind of plotlined us out here. So we've got just a handful more uh, of sermons left in this book. And this morning we're in Exodus chapter 30. And I've been doing some larger sections, but, uh, but this, this week um, I, we kind of hit a little bump in the road. There's just this small section in chapter 30 that I felt needed addressed. And uh, before I read the text... Let me give you uh, some uh, privy insight into my uh, Sunday afternoon liturgy when I get home. At least the last couple of Sundays, I have been, and I call it liturgy because uh, I feel like most of you think I just do religious things on Sunday. Um, but what I do when I get home from church on Sunday, um, you know, get the family fed or whatever, we do lunch, and everybody kind of goes off to get their own rest in various ways. And what I've been doing is I've been opening up Instagram. And hopping on stories, if you, if you, I know most of you are like Snapchatting and TikToking, but I mean Instagrams is as deep as I'm getting in the social media game. But I open up my Instagram stories and I just kind of shuffle through those. And there's been one particular individual that I follow. He's a famous comedian. His name's John Christ. If you've if you've seen his stuff, I think he's hilarious. Uh, John Christ has been posting specifically on Sundays. A uh, little background on John Chris. He's a comedian, and he's on the road touring right now, apparently. So he's all over the country, and he's been visit. He's a Christian as well, and he's been visiting different churches uh, from different denominations um, on Sundays, and then he's been Instagram storying them. Um, it's it's funny, y'all. It is it's pretty funny. So I've I've had some literal laugh out loud type of moments, and one of those moments. I believe he was visiting a Lutheran church, I believe, and he was, you know, he, he kind of, like, it might be borderline blasphemy. I don't know. He's, he's doing live stories during the church service, but he's, he's respectful. He's, like, he's towing the line. He's being respectful about it. But in the middle of the Lutheran service, um, one of the elements of their service popped up in, an, in a surprising way to him, and it was when they handed him... Uh, like, for lack of a better term, an, an attendance sheet 
if you've ever been at a church that kind of keeps attendance, you, you sign in and let them know that you were there that day and give them your, and it just, it just was jarring to John Chris. He just, he couldn't get over like, why are they asking for my attendance? And he, he even like gave him false information. He felt all super guilty about like lying in church about his information, but I was just cracking up and, and it was just this random part of the worship service that he didn't know what to do with. There's this little section in Exodus chapter 30 that we're about to read that kind of feels like that. Like, what is this doing here? And it begins in in verse 11 and goes down through 16. I'm going to read those verses here in a a second. Um, But it's right in the middle of uh, the Israelites getting all the very specific directions on um, the furniture and the items for the tabernacle that they're building. Uh, But there's this little section in in chapter 30, verse 11 through 16, and I just, I couldn't shake what it was here for, and I I think I have a better understanding. But let me me read the verses to you, and then we will uh, look at it together. This is Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 11, going down through verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel... Then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 garaz, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. This is the word of God. Let's pray together and ask him to open our eyes and hearts to see and believe beautiful things from it. Let's pray. Father, we need your help right now. As 21st century Western Americans, we find it difficult to understand how these words have relevance to our lives, but I believe they do. And so, Lord, we need, we need your help. I need your help. Would you please um, give me your words uh, for your people? And would you uh, have your words fall on soft, receptive hearts this morning? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. There was a TED Talk uh, that came out a number of years ago. Um, I I think TED Talks, I think they're still producing those. I'm not sure, but they were really popular, you know, a decade or so ago. There was a TED Talk uh, that was given a number of years ago uh, by a now famous author and speaker and and all the things named Brene Brown. And I believe the title, I didn't even write the title of the the TED Talk down. I think it's called The Power of Vulnerability. And, you know, she she was unknown at the time. And this, you know, this TED Talk caught traction, and it's, it's kind of what landed her in, in, in fame in a lot of ways. And in this talk, she, she made just a, a ton of connection. I, w- I mean, I would, I would commend the whole, the whole TED Talk 
to you, but she just made a, a number of observations. She calls herself a research storyteller, and so she does a lot of research on human uh, behavior and relationships and those types of things. And in this TED Talk, she makes big claims like, uh, the reason we all exist is for connection. And she ties our lack of connection in our lives um, to, to what is commonly called shame. And the way shame works is shame um, produces this fear of dic- disconnection in us. And, you know, if I were to kind of summarize, and, and I think Brene Brown does this in the TED Talk, what shame is, it is the idea that I'm never enough. So, you know, we're, we're, we're always never enough, right? I'm not skinny enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not uh, influential enough. I'm not promoted enough. I'm not paid enough. I'm not, you know, enough of a parent. You know, fill in the blank. We feel shame kind of in the undercurrent of our life all the time. I'm not enough. And, and Brene Brown, in, in this talk, uh, makes this really bold statement Um, And this is kind of the summary of the TED Talk and a lot of her books and writings is that in her research and in her discoveries of people, people who live um, what she calls the most wholeheartedly, like in brave, courageous, bold types of ways, are people who, um, and this is is the, the thing you need to latch on to, people who know that they are worthy of loving, of being loved and belonging. People who know they're worthy of love and belonging. Now, when, when some of you hear me say worthy, some of you hear me say like they've made themselves worthy through doing something, and that's not what she means, and that's not what I'm kind of relating. But, but what, I, what I do believe that Brene Brown is onto, and what I believe this passage is about is our need for belonging. And one of the, you know, the things that I know is true of everyone here, because it's also true of me, is that, that all, I think, I would even be so brave as to say, all of us struggle to believe that we're worthy to be loved and have a place of belonging. And my, my aim of looking at this passage this morning is that to varying degrees, wherever you're at on that scale of worthiness, that you would sense your need for belonging and love in, in such a deep way that you would be desperate to have it. And, um, and, and the solution to your problem of not feeling worthy of it is not to make yourself more worthy of it, but is to, to feel the worth you already have. And so what I, th- what I think God is doing with the Israelites is he's healing them from trauma. Uh, if you haven't been with us in this series, you need to know this. And, and if you have been with us, you still need to know this. That these people are traumatized. Uh, roughly three months or so have passed. We start losing the track of the timeline at this point. But not long ago, uh, they were enslaved in Egypt under a harsh dictator named Pharaoh. And they had experienced generation after generation after generation of oppression, poverty, and enslavement. And here they are out in the wilderness, um, and God is inviting them to sense their worth to him, 
God is inviting them to sense not only their need for belonging, but also where they can find their belonging. And uh, there's, a, there's a line in a book that I recently read, another resource if you're a note taker and you want a resource. Uh, it's, called, it's a book called The Soul of Shame uh, by a man named Kurt Thompson. And uh, he makes this, this was, this was a big statement for me uh, a number of months ago. He makes this claim that everyone who is born into the world comes into the world looking for someone looking for them. Everyone comes into the world looking for someone looking for them. Same thing Brene Brown's saying is we all need belonging. So here's what this passage shows us. Um, It shows us three things about belonging. It shows us the place of belonging. It shows us the price of belonging. And then it shows us the purpose of belonging. So let's, let's look at those in turn. First, the place of belonging. So inserted in the middle of these um, rather tedious details about the sanctuary is um, Yahweh's, um, you know, his command for them to take a census. Uh, you know, we do, I think we did a census, was it last year? I don't know what year we're in, but, you know, we do censuses about every decade, I think, in the U.S. Same idea. Uh, you know, Yahweh says, listen, you, you need to number the people that belong to me. So he says, take a census, and so I know who belongs to my people. And, uh, th- you know, the, the sense of a census is that you are being numbered, right? And so God is saying, listen, number my people so I know who belongs to me. Now, God doesn't need this information, right? This isn't just, you know, data source for him. He doesn't just you know, need to, you know, have like a, a file of, of other people. What he's saying is like, if you're numbered to me, like if you belong to me, then you will be seen and you will be known. And you might be saying like, well, doesn't, doesn't God see everybody and know everybody? In one sense, yes. But in an entirely another sense, No. Uh, there is something particularly unique about the way God sees and knows those who belong to him. And what it, what it is, is it, it's really this platform um, for God's people to have extravagant uh, vulnerability with, with their God. Like, if you belong to this God, you will be seen and known from the inside out. And that is unique to belonging to God. And for most people, whether you belong to God or not, for most people that is extremely uncomfortable. Because what happens um, is, is you think that if God sees and knows you from the inside out, if he knows you on your worst moment, on your worst day, if he knows the darkest part about you, here's what you might be inclined to think. He will reject me. Like if God were to know this about me, there's no way I would still belong. And so, so the Lord here says, listen, if you're going to belong to me, you have to be seen and known. And what's, what's kind of shocking about the passage um, is look at the language in verse 12. He says, okay, take the census of the people. This is who belongs to me. Then each one of those who are numbered among my people shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord. 
And then if you just kind of shuffle down, it says at the, in the last verse there, verse 16, it says, uh, and that they will make atonement for their lives. That's the same word translated in two different ways in English. So they would, they would give a ransom and an atonement. Now what's noteworthy here is that it is not a ransom or atonement for sin. Now, that would be very familiar language in the Old Testament to have atonement for your sin, but this is atonement for your life. And the word translated there could actually be translated soul, nephesh. It's it's the Hebrew word for soul. And so what the Lord is saying is like, there will be payment made for your very soul. And uh, if you were here last week, John Pickett touched on the soul for a minute. I, it was very, very insightful. But just for, for just, you know, capsize sake, here, here's what the soul is. The soul is the truest part of you. The you that God made you to be. The, the unique individual. There is only one you. The truest part of you is your soul. The eternal part of you, Right? And so what, what, what God is doing is saying, listen, there's going to be a purchase of your soul, and I am going to make you the fullest version of you you were always made to be. If you've been in our, in our series, you know, I, I've said it time and time again. I'll say it again. One of you quoted it to me outside of a Sunday. I was thrilled that God is most interested in who you're becoming, not where you're going. So this, this whole in the journey of what God is making you, not just the endpoint destination. So, so what, he's, what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, um, I'm going to see you, and I'm going to know you, and I'm going to make you the truest you that you were always made to be. And um, one of the more thorny parts of this passage is the promise that's attached to it. Did you catch that? He says, um, after you take the census... You give the ransom for their soul, you number them, and then the end of verse 12, that there be no plague among them when you number them. That's strange. Is, is, that, is that a promise of like, you know, easy living, that nothing, nothing difficult, no harm, no sickness, nothing will come their way if you belong to the Lord? Well, no, because we know, we know that that's, that's not how the story for the Israelites goes. What, what, what was a plague for the Israelites? We have to, you have to rewind to Egypt. I mean, they saw those plagues in person. And the plagues were judgment. Right? The, the plagues were Yahweh expressing his judgment over the gods of Egypt. And Yahweh is saying, listen, there's no other god like me. I, you know, nobody can go toe-to-toe with me. And judgment will fall on you if you try. And so what, what he does here is he says, listen, if you belong to me, if you're seen and known by me, if you're numbered by me, if, you, if you're willing to be known like that, no judgment will ever fall on you. I will not reject you. It's shocking. So what is the place of belonging? The place of belonging is the Lord. So what the Lord's saying is, listen, if, if you're looking, and, th- and this is very popular language in, in kind of secular culture, if you're looking for a safe place to be yourself, Look no further than me. I want you to be the truest version of yourself you can be, and you are safe being that with me. So that's the the place of belonging. 
Well, what's the price of it? It's not free, right? There's no free lunch uh, anywhere, right? Uh, my kids uh, recently uh, got employed uh, from our neighbor two doors down. We've got, you know, some working age boys. They're the ripe age of 11 and 9 now. And uh, our neighbor two doors down, Paul, he approached us a few weeks ago. His, uh, his grandson's in college, and he's headed down to Socorro uh, to, the, to the school down there. And, and he needs someone to take care of his lawn and to do some things around the house. And he's got a great, great employment package with benefits. He pays well. I told the boys, like, if you don't want this job, I'll take it. And, uh, and it's really simple. It's just like, it's like 30, 45 minutes of work on a Saturday morning kind of thing. And we were going over there yesterday, and uh, you, you need to know this about my, my older boy. Uh, he's, he's got some pretty, pretty strong work ethic. He really likes doing the job, and he likes getting paid and all the things, but he really likes mowing the lawn. Um, he's a one on the Enneagram, so if that means anything to you, he's a perfectionist. So he likes the lines, and he likes the edges, and he likes you know blowing everything off and, it, and just kind of seeing the final product. And we were walking away from the job yesterday, and he was, you know, he got his paid his, his $10 or whatever. And, and he, and he, he says, you know, dad, I would, I would do this for free. Like I, I would, I like this job so much. I would do it. I would, I would do this for free for Paul. Um, that, that that's a nice sentiment. And I kind of told him like, son, you need to learn the value of a dollar and how to handle your money. You know, like I went into full blown dad mode immediately. Um, but, but I mean, I think, you know, maybe you're looking at this thinking like, what's with the payment? Like, is that, why, why doesn't the Lord just love his people? What's with the money and the transaction and all the promises? If you do this, if you, like, what is, what is that about? Is it, is it about just, you know, like meriting your way? Um, here's, here's a couple things that you should know. Um, first is that the shekel, which is the form of payment. He says, uh, this is, this is what the Lord says. He says, anyone uh, who's 20 years old, uh, and it doesn't say it in this text, but it does in others, and a male, which means these were the eligible people for military, right? That's who's numbered among the census. And those who are numbered among the census, you're to give a half a shekel, uh, whether you're rich or poor. So the, the payment was equal for everyone, a half a shekel. And a shekel, it was a measurement of weight. It wasn't a coin. So a shekel, uh, a shekel is, um, is less than an ounce, and a half a shekel is, well, less than a half an ounce. So what he says is give less than a half an ounce of silver and, and give that as an offering. And that wasn't very much, you know, like they had just given a, a whole first offering at the beginning of, of the sanctuary building. And uh, this was just a little, little drop of silver. And everybody uh, contributes. And just to give you just kind of a grasp on how this worked, uh, later in, in the book of Exodus, it tells us how many people were numbered in the census, which was 603,550 people. So that's, and that's men. So that didn't even count the women and children. So you just have to trust me on the math. I'm not going to walk you through all the math. But basically, with 603,550 people giving half a shekel, uh, in our modern measurement, that was over 7,000 pounds of silver. So they all just kind of chipped in, but it came out to a very large lump of silver. And uh, we'll get to what, what they use the silver for, but, but what, what, what's going on here is the, the Lord saying, listen, your soul, your true self has worth, and everyone's self is equal. Whether you're rich or you're poor, you give the same payment. You're all, you're all part of this ransom and atonement money in my sanctuary. 
And you all chip in and you're all part of it and you're all useful in, in this whole thing I'm doing. But you fast forward and you think about, um, you think about Jesus and how he describes himself, right? He says, uh, you know, the, I'm the son of man and I came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so, you know, ding, 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 like, oh, like there's some, there's some form of payment going on. And I'm not suggesting this is um, like, uh, you know, for, for you theologians, all, all, you know, eight of you that are reading on different theories of the atonement um, this weekend. But like I'm not suggesting this is like a ransom theory type of atonement because uh, the ransom theory says that like Jesus paid his life to Satan so that Satan could release us from the bondage of sin. And, and I, I do think there's some, some things to be had there. But what I am saying is Jesus said this, and he's saying this to you today. Your soul is worth my life. You, the you I made you to be, is worth both living and dying for. And so what we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ is not someone coming and saying, listen, here's how you should live your life. This is what it looks like to follow God and to belong to him. What, what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I know you can't live this life, so I will live it for you. And not only will I live the life that you could not live, but I will willingly put my own very life on a cross and pour it out so that you can have life. And so we see that the price of belonging to God, if you want to be seen, known, loved, and never rejected, is not anything you can meritoriously strum up yourself to give to God. It is to fix your eyes on the work that Christ has done for you. He says, my li- your life is worth giving my life for. I will do what you could not do on your own. Now, now, if that doesn't start to feel like fresh air, like especially for, for those of you that have like this, you just have this religious DNA in you. Like you might not say it out loud very often, but you act like, like there's something you must do to maintain belonging with God. And the good news of Christianity is not only could you not earn your way in, but you'll never unearn your way out. If you belong, you belong. Your life was worth his life. This is the price of belonging. This is what it means to belong to God. And the, the response, and let me just throw this out there like as an invitation of, of application and response in your life. Your response to this good news is one of two things. I will live my life my way or I will give my life away. Those are the only two possible responses you can have to the good news of Christianity. That's great. Sounds good. I'll continue trekking on my own path. Or that's so incredibly shocking and scandalous, I will give my life away for this. His life was worth my life. My life is worth his life. So that leads me then naturally to the third point, which is the purpose of it all. Uh, why, you know, why, why is God doing all this with his people? Why is he creating this sense of safety with him? Why does he want you to be able to deeply breathe and relax? Why does he want you to know it is so safe for him to know the worst parts about you 
so that he can make you the truest version of yourself that you were always made to be. Why? What is the purpose behind it all? And I think it's discovered in what they do with the money, what they do with the silver. So they've got this big pile of silver, right, to use for the, for the tabernacle. And look at the way, you know, the, the passage says it. He says, like, he tells them what to do with it. You know, the Lord, he's always connecting dots for us. He says, verse 16, take the atonement money, from the people of Israel and give it for the service of the tent of meeting. So here's what we know from later passages in Exodus. They were to take this silver and they were going to use it for the bases of the sanctuary and the base of the veil. And so this, you know, there was a lot of elaborate gold on the outside, but this is the foundation of it. Like the foundation of this mobile tent where God would uniquely dwell with his people was through their, the giving of their life through this shekel, this half a shekel. And then it goes on to say, end of verse 16, and here's why you're to do it, that it might bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord. So the the whole purpose of the mobile sanctuary is so that God could uniquely dwell in the midst of his people. And the reason God would uniquely dwell in the midst of his people is so they would never forget what he's done for them that he has made a way for his people to be with him. You go back to Jesus and we hear him say things like this. Uh, you are the light of the world. And I'm paraphrasing at this point. You're the light of the world and who hides the light under a bushel, right? Nobody. I'm curious how many of you hear that and you hear this. You hear you're the light of the world so don't screw it up. You're the light of the world, so you better do a good job. You're the light of the world, so, you know, you better represent me well. And I feel like that is some of the stigma around Christianity and why some of you have a hard time relaxing around Jesus, being in his presence, feeling safe with him. And here's, here's, here's just another point of little application for you. Here, here's, here's what I think God thinks of you today. If you belong to Christ by faith, here's what he believes. He is absolutely delighted and, and just, he cherishes you. And I'm thinking 90% of you don't, don't really believe that. So what, what if, I mean, I think, here's what I think God is, you know, in seed form giving us in what, you know, the New Testament gives us in more substance. Here's what he's doing in seed form. He's saying, do you know how the world's going to know me? It's through you. Like the divine wisdom of the God of the Bible is that, you know, I'm not going to be this flash in the pan, you know, show up in all these extra, I'm not always going to just part the seas and do all the flashy things. I can do those. But the, the ordinary way that people will experience my presence, God says, is through my people. You are the light of the world. And so when you hear that, what I, here's what I, I kind of want to give you some imagery. You know, wherever you go in the world, whether it's, you know, the workplace and you're going to, to meetings on Zoom or in the boardroom or you're in the classroom teaching or learning kids 
wherever you're at in the world, before you enter the place that God is putting you, would you imagine this? (laughs) Jesus winks at you, and he says, let's go light up this place. Like, I feel like that version of Jesus is hard for us to believe, that Jesus is so delighted in you that he's not pouring contempt out on your flaws and your weaknesses. What he's doing is he's winking at you and he's saying, hey, let's go, let's go light this place up. That can change the world. So the closing questions, just a couple questions for you to consider this morning is first and foremost, do you belong? Are you numbered among the people? And, you know, lest I leave you with just some theoretical question for you to figure out the answer on your own, let me connect some dots. Here's what you must do to be numbered among God's people. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe in him in such a way that you, you're done, you're done trying to figure it out on your own. I was talking to someone up, up, up there today saying they're just trying to figure life out. I feel like there's somebody here, I don't know who, that's just trying to figure out Jesus and Christianity, and it's just too complex. The, the Bible's very clear. There is only one name given under heaven by which men will be saved, and his name is Jesus Christ. And to belong to him is to believe in him. And to belong to him is to have the safest place for you to be yourself, to be seen and known like nobody else. And so that's an invitation. And then the second question for those of you who do belong to him is do you believe Uh, That by belonging to God, you are so safe that you can now, that you can now live your life. That you, that there is nothing you can do to earn or unearn your belonging with God. That he not only did what you could not do, but he did what you should have done. That he lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you certainly deserved. And because he's done that work as your substitute, in your place, on your behalf, because the payment has been made, you belong. And belonging with God will change your life. Because belonging with God is the safest place to be who you were always meant to be. Mosaic, oh, that, that, we, that we would be a church of people who know how deeply delighted in and cherished we are by the God of the universe. It could change the landscape of your entire life. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Father, I'll be the first to admit here this morning that I have a hard time believing that you love me like that. All too often I feel like you're just a curmudgeon who just wants to drop the shoe on all my flaws and weaknesses. But time and time again, Lord, you show me um, that I'm precious to you. And I pray for my friends here listening this morning that they would feel how precious they are to you too. That 
they would know and believe in their heart of hearts that they are worthy of love and belonging and that there is no other place in the entire universe where they can find love and belonging than in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we want to be a church that believes that, not only believes it cerebrally, intellectually, theologically, but that we would experience that, that it would change the way that we conduct our work lives and the way we parent our children and the way we care and love for our spouses and the way that we um, take care of our neighbors and our friends and our family. Lord, would you please work the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, into the fabric of our lives. Lord, we believe that you, you have purpose for us, um, and we want to be a part of that. And so we ask all these things in the powerful, matchless, mighty name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 